your money anyway. Amen? So thank you for your giving, and we're going to release the children as Denise is waving. Lord bless the children. Uh, and as your as the plates are being passed, I want to introduce Jack Sear. Jack Sear is the southeast, right? East. Eastern United States of America, Director of Harvest Evangelism, um, which is an, a ministry that I was personally got exposed to this year, which I really believe the Lord has divinely appointed that. Uh, Harvest Evangelism is all about uh, exactly that, evangelism by the power of God, taking our cities for Christ, uh, seeing, seeing the city one. And that's something I believe that God has gotten us involved in, which is wonderful, isn't it? Seeing the city one for Christ. So... Uh, Jack just happened to be in town here, just happened to be. <laughs> he was at the men's rally, and, and I really appreciate Jack. He's, uh, Jack is, this is, this is sad, Jack is an ex-millionaire. <laughs> Note the word ex. God had a change for Jack. Jack had 20-something million dollars, I think. I don't know exactly how much he had, but he had a lot of money. And the Lord wanted Jack in full-time ministry. Can you believe this? And took all his money from him. It's a terrible concept. I mean, I'd hate to go in from to have 20 million bucks and the Lord said, I want you to ministry. And, well, only I'm going to get this hard hit in the ministry. I'm going to take all this money. But we believe God's going to give it back to him. He actually is living on faith now. Can you imagine going from being a multi-million dollars to having to live on faith, depending on the... It is a pity. You've got to trust the Lord. But we really appreciate Jack. I just wanted to say that because I think it's remarkable that God would use a millionaire, actually, because most of them, they just won't listen. But God knows how to get their attention, right, Jack? <laughs> so let's just welcome Jack and bless him. Thank you. Uh, yep, we were rich. I told the men yesterday that uh, we had a great uh, rally. If you were there, you heard, you know, uh, is it Lake Speed or Speed Lake? Lake Speed and Nakita Kolov. And uh, the football player, Mike Minter. Yeah. And they all talked about how all the things that they sought and sought out of life never satisfied them until they met Jesus. That's the short of it all. What they failed to tell you is they still have all their stuff. <laughs> they didn't mention that, did they? They still have all their money and stuff and more. I mean, Mike Minter just told me he signed a five-year multimillion Dollar contract. The point I'm making with that is it isn't the stuff. It's never the stuff. It's never the millions of dollars. It's your attitude toward the stuff and how it overcomes who Christ is. That wasn't really our problem because we were giving away millions of dollars as well. I was preaching, lay renewals. My wife was working with the homeless and the oppressed and the things we did with money, I, I can stand here and say I'm very pleased the way God allowed us to give the money away. It wasn't the issue. Apparently the issue in our life was that we didn't trust him sufficiently. I guess that's not a problem of yours. You probably still have all your money. But he, he learns you, he teaches you how to trust him in many different ways. Ours happened to be through finances. And uh, I didn't know that. We didn't know that until a lady came to Pittsburgh uh, Three year, well, actually, at the very point in time we had lost our final everything. It took about a three-year process. And she came up to me at the National Day of Prayer, which I was leading, and then we were doing a conference the very next day with Ed Silvoso. 
and we were uh, just doing the National Day of Prayer. And she came up, introduced herself, and she left like everybody else did. And then all of a sudden, two days later, she came to apologize to my wife and I for what she had done, which I didn't even recognize, and that was greet me and then leave quickly. Well, a lot of people do that. I mean, that's not like, wow, why'd that happen, you know? I don't even know the woman. She never heard of me before. And she said she could not stand in our presence because of all the suffering that was going on in our lives, and she had not a clue that we had just closed on our last company and were just broke. Didn't have a clue. And she said she couldn't stand in our presence because of, she'd have to just weep so much. But the Lord told her to tell her this, and this is the good news. It wasn't because of sin in our lives, and it wasn't because of bad decisions. And I can give you both a long list of both of those that I thought was the cause of this. And she said, it wasn't that. It was because God wanted to see how much he could trust us and how much we could trust him. Well, when you hear that, it, you know, it's almost worth losing all that money. I said almost. I mean, I'm human. <laughs> I think he could have done it another way, you know. But, but be that as it may, yeah, we do raise our own support. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll never forget, I mean, we, we were worth not quite $20 million, but not far from it on paper. And we were worth multi-millions in cash. And uh, we gave a lot of money away. It was just really great. We had more fun giving money away. Do you know it's really fun to give your money away? The one thing we said we were going to miss the most was the opportunity to give to the needs of people. I just can't tell you what a joy that is. If you don't know it yet, boy, the only way you'll find out is by giving it away. As God leads you. As God leads you. But, but we, we, uh, we were just in a situation that he just needed to change our lives, and he wanted to do that. And so he basically just began to change our lives by doing that kind of thing. And, and, and we raised our support, and we were just sitting one day in a hotel room in Oak, Elkhart, Indiana, and we were at the very bottom. We didn't think we could go any further down. And we spoke at a church like this. They took an offering. They gave us the envelope, and it was filled with cash, you know. And we went back to this. We used to stay at places like Doral Country Club. You know, we'd go to Paris and we, Hawaii and San Francisco's uh, Fairmont Hotel. We, we, we lived very nicely with that money as well. And, and, and there we sat in this little hotel that didn't even have a closet. It just had a bar. You know, and I'm not sure it had a bathtub. It probably just had a shower and a little black and white TV, you know. And we were sitting in there, and we got the money out, and I just started counting the money to see how much we got. We got 10, 20, 30, 40. House, Jane, we got $338. And I just began to laugh hilariously. It struck me as quite humorous that here is a multimillionaire sitting in Elkhart, Indiana, in this little stinking hotel, counting $338 and being thankful for it. But we were because we had nothing else. And that's something we have to become, is thankful for what God gives us, no matter how small it is or how big it is. Didn't want to go down that road, but you introduced it. <laughs> but it's a road I think we need to understand, because money is not evil. It's the love of money that's evil. It's what we put before God that's always evil. It can be your kids. It can be your spouse. It can be your job. It can be anything. It does not have to be money. I, I get tired of hearing. Uh, this isn't pointed to you, by the way. I get tired of hearing how God can't use millionaires. He uses them all the time. When they bow their knee to him, he uses them all the time. Without millionaires, who's gonna, we're going to get the offering to do all the stuff you want to do. Where's the money coming from except from people who have money? So money's not evil. It's what we do with it. Well, 
what I've been seeing a lot around here is the term city reacher. Uh, you guys have grabbed hold of that in this town more than anybody I've ever seen. It is everywhere. I mean, it's on banners, it's on paper, it's on T-shirts. And Dean Stein and, and, and others have done such a great job of promoting that name. And I never much thought about the term city reacher beyond the fact that we reach cities, okay, until yesterday morning when I, I realized that there are two things about the city reachers. And the first city reachers that ever existed were the 120 that are in the upper room, at least in the New Testament side of things. They literally were sent out from the upper room by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were scared out. Now, see, you either go because you want to or you'll go because God throws the fear of God into you and you'll go out. That's how they got out, because they were afraid of this great sound that the Holy Spirit was making. And they rushed downstairs, and within moments, Peter gave the great message he gave, and 3,000 came to Christ where in the marketplace. They went into the city. They didn't stay in their upper room. And had they done that, they'd have remained in the four walls all the time thinking this is church. This is not church. This is a building where the church comes to worship. And then the church must go back out again and do the work of the kingdom. And God knew that from the very beginning. And that's why I chased them out of that big room and said, you can't stay here. My work is outside the building. And we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that tremendously. And so those city reachers, believe it or not, within I'm told by the experts, within six weeks they had spread the word of Jesus Christ across Jerusalem. And they did it door to door. They were accused by the Pharisees and Sadducees of spreading the word of Christ. The word, this man stops all over the city because of you guys. <laughs> Yay! You know, that's the way it was supposed to be. But that's what they were the first city reachers. They did it in six weeks. Nothing has ever happened that fast. As a matter of fact, in a short number of years, all of Asia Minor had heard about Jesus and had the opportunity to receive him or not. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in Romans 15 that he had no other place to go. He was basically out of work. Wouldn't it be great if we could say that? There's no place left to go in Mooresville or Iredell County at all. We are out of work. And God would say, well, fine, go to Charlotte. There's always work, see. But that's one thing we want to be able to say. There is no more work for us to do in Mooresville. What that simply means is that every single living person in Mooresville has been loved, has been given mercy and grace by the body of Christ, and has heard that God is near them. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that every single person will come to Christ, but it does mean this, those who come will come to Christ, those who don't will fear God. And that's how the city will become godly. Because people who don't know Christ will be so fearful of what he can do, because they've seen him in action, that they will submit to the things of God without ever being Christians. It's good enough for me. It's that simple. The, the second thing was that if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Ephesians. Two. It's another verse that I've been using from Eduardo Lorenzo, uh, who taught it in Argentina. And it just absolutely amazed me when I heard this, but it didn't really hit me again. You know those verses you really think you got it all, you got it all figured out, and all of a sudden God expands it even greater than you could possibly imagine? Well, Ephesians 2 is the kind of people we must become to be city-reaching people, be we adults, children, black, white, male, female, it doesn't matter. Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's workmanship. That's who we are, right? We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which are prepared 
God prepared in advance that we might walk in them. Now think about it. God has already strategically placed good works in your path that have already been victorious, and all you have to do is walk in them. Have you ever noticed when you're in God's will, things really work out nicely? That's because you have walked in the things he has prepared for you. And when things don't go well, it's because you're trying to do things you think are for God or think are good, and they don't work out. You go, why didn't that work, God? And he's probably saying, I never told you to do it. That was your idea. And while he doesn't just crash us down because of that, he doesn't let it go forth too powerfully. But boy, when we're in the will of God and doing what he has prepared in advance, before you were knit in your mother's womb, he had prepared in advance what you were going to do if you were obedient. If you were obedient and you trusted him. And then once you trusted him, he knew he could trust you. He'd open that door for you to walk in those things that he prepared because they're powerful, mighty things of God that are going to change not your life as much as the entire city's life. So I believe to be a city reacher, you need to be an Ephesians 2.10 kind of person, which means you have to begin to seek out what has God prepared for me? What is my calling in life? I want to take you to two other verses to show you I know the Bible. Luke 16 16, 16. These are verses I, I know some of you have heard because I mentioned them when I was the first time I came to Mooresville. But I think they bear repeating because they gave Ed Silvoso so much trouble to understand what they were. I'm sure you've had verses you just don't get at all. I mean, they just make no sense whatsoever. Or the, the, the interpretation of them by somebody just says, well, I don't understand that at all either. Well, Luke 16, 16 was plaguing Ed. Now turn also to Matthew 22 and put your finger there. Don't look at Matthew 22. Put your finger at Matthew 22, 34. And just put your finger there. And I'll do the same. It says here, the law and the prophets in Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. That's a true statement. That's exactly what happened. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. That's going on right now as I stand here. It's being preached everywhere. It has been since that time. So both of those are true statements. And everyone is forcing his way into it. Oops. I don't find many people forcing their way into church, into the kingdom of God. Do you? I mean, they just can't wait to get in and hear about who Jesus is. They're lost as can be, but they can't wait. It doesn't happen very often. Why is that, Ed kept saying. Why is the, are these two things true, but it isn't happening? And he said, turn to Matthew 22 for the answer. Verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You know that verse, right? It's not a new verse to you. But that's all he wanted. But he said, This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I never realized those two were right next to each other. I knew them. I could, I could I memorize them, but I didn't realize they were right next to each other and that they were co-equal. But look at the last one. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know what that means? In order for us to see the lost rushing into the kingdom of God, rushing into our midst, rushing into our hands, we must love Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind, which we do brilliantly in this country and around the world. 
We honor Him. We bless Him. We raise Him up. We worship Him. We do all kinds of things to show how much we love Jesus with all our heart. I, I wonder, though, if that's true since we don't really love our neighbors. How can we say we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind if we don't love who He loves, our neighbors? So we're living a lie. If we don't love the lost, then we cannot possibly say we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We love Him, but not with all our heart, soul, and mind. And that's why we don't see the church growing. That's why we don't see anything changing in our lives or in this, in this country. We keep complaining because it's the government or it's, or it's the marketplace or whatever. It's not that. It's us. Because we're not living out what we've been called to live out. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. The fact of the matter is we don't even love many of the saved as ourselves. How many times we've cursed another body of Christ because they're different than us. Because they don't understand why we speak prophetically or raise our hands or dance or, or sing the way we do. You know the song that gave me the most tears the whole time we sang this morning? How Great Thou Art. And you know, most charismatic, non-denominational, independent, whatever you want to call us, don't sing those songs anymore. They think they're not worth much anymore because now we're praise people. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I love praise and worship. We go to churches just like yours. And I see, I see all kinds of worship going on throughout the country. But how great they are. Thou art. I'm sorry, guys. It breaks my heart. You know why? We're recognizing who he is and not who we are. And what he's done for us, not what we can do for him. I was so glad to see that song sung today because I really believe we're out of balance. I believe we need to be about all that God's given us throughout time that is good. And not separating ourselves one from another because of worship style. Or the way we take an offering and the way we give communion. None of those things matter to God, really. We think it does. We set that as a standard, but that's what we have to set aside. So we all can worship God together. I can tell you there are many evangelicals who would have walked in here today and walked right back out again because they'd have been quite confused about what you guys were doing. And I can tell you we could go to churches and we'd be very bored at what they're doing. But that doesn't matter. Not if we want to see a city reached. What matters is Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what matters. I want to read to you some interesting things here that I got in the mail. Actually, email, if I can find them. This is from Argentina. You may have heard of Luis Sosa. I had dinner with him last night. We talked about these things. Well, Harvest Evangelism right now is in Argentina. I'm here because Ed said I had to stay here uh, so I could be in Florida and, and ministering down there and be here. But this is, this is the result of what's going on. Two weeks, there are, there are about 60 people from around the world down there, and this is an email I got from Dave Thompson, um, who Jim Hill knows very well. He used to babysit his kids in Argentina in Resistencia. And this is from Resistencia. And it says, when Carlos Anacondia was in the city in 1988, about 7,500 people came during the final nights of his crusade. Now, Carlos Anacondia is known as one of the greatest evangelists of all times. When we were there, Harvest, we finished with about 14,000. Recently, last November, another evangelist, Alberto Motesi, drew 40,000 people. One pastor related how that years ago he would get on a bus to preach the gospel and be kicked off. The other day he got on the bus and eight of the 13 people were believers. They preached just conversing amongst themselves. Can you imagine Christians just talking about God amongst some lost and they're over, overhearing what you're saying? And through that they become saved. 
<laughs> That's an easy way to have salvation. I like that best. This knocking on door stuff and everything scares me. Now, the church of the city are full. I see some empty seats here, and I bet if I went to every church in town, there would be empty seats. And by the, by the fact of the matter is, you don't have enough seats in this town to fill them all with the people who are here. They're going to come one day. We're going to need more than what you already have. But the, the churches are full. Favor with the government has increased. Now, listen to this. The day of Pentecost has been declared a provincial holiday. That'd be like, that'd be like Mooresville or Carolina, South Carolina, North Carolina saying, a new holiday we're adding. It's called the day of Pentecost. We're all going to celebrate it. Hmm, I love it. Monday, now the letter I'm reading to you, by the way, is because six people from my church in New Jersey, which we left nine years ago, and has yet to be touched by God, went to Argentina. And the reason that we're getting this good report is because I came here and met Luis Sosa. And when I got the email from Lloyd Turner, who was an elder when I was an elder in the Presbyterian Church there, and said, can you help me find anybody who can spend time with in Argentina, I called Luis. And Luis called his dad, and they got set up to be with dad and a bunch of other people down there. Because I came to Morrisville. You see, because I walked in the things God already prepared for me, not knowing it, but came here obediently. He opened another door. I never thought of that till right now. I was being an Ephesians 2.10 kind of guy. And didn't know, you probably won't know it. It's just that obeying God. He says, go here, you go. Let him figure out why you're there. We all say, why am I going? doesn't matter. Just go, please. Yes. Goodness. So they went to another city. And it was a small town in the interior province where 50% of the city is Christian. 50%. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now let's go on to the next email. After I got that, I sent Dave Thompson an email, and I said, you know, I'd be interested in knowing what kept it going in, our, in Resistentia, because Resistentia was the first time I ever reached fully for Christ. Luis will tell you that. But it's still going and getting better. What's keeping this thing going? And Dave Thompson wrote back and says, good question. Here are some transferable reasons that I pick up on. The seed of prayer evangelism, what we're about here, is good, a good seed. Second, there is a faithful remnant core group that walks humbly before God and their fellow men. And they've been doing this now for at least 15 years. It's hard for us to walk humbly moment by moment, and they're doing it for 15 years. Third, they do not stop loving God and who God loves. Matthew. Fourth, they are willing to quickly obey what they hear from God. Ephesians 2 kind of person. This means they are, at, they are continuously listening for the voice of God. Continuously, not just in here. Not just when we're worshiping and God speaks to a man and he comes up and tells us what the Lord said, but all the time they're listening to what God has to say. It takes practice, by the way, folks. You don't do this overnight. The result is that their listening posture attracts the voice of God and makes the place where they, where they are a specially chosen place, a Bethel, a holy ground. We think, and it may be true, I don't know, that we'll sing, we're standing on holy ground. Are we? Where two or three are gathered, Jesus is here, and that may mean that it's holy ground. I don't really know. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not trying to start an argument here, <laughs> but, it but it strikes me that it may not be as holy, if in fact it is holy, as it would be if we were doing the things we're talking about here. Fifth, they are willing to go an extra mile to cover another's nakedness when necessary for the sake of the kingdom. You know what that means? That means if a brother is hurting, you don't trash him. 
You don't shoot them in the hip and kill them. You go to a side and say, whatever ours is yours. How can we help you? And that's where the body's heading right now, and that's where we must get to in order for us to see the changes. Now I want to bring a third email I just got. Why am I reading all this to you? Because I want you to see that what you're entering into is possible. It's happening. And I want you to see that it's bigger than this church, bigger than you, bigger than your pastor, bigger than me, bigger than this city, bigger than this county, and bigger than this state. It's about the world. The Great Commission is not just about Mooresville. And what we begin here, God can use to go beyond Mooresville. As a matter of fact, he will use it to go beyond Mooresville. He is already going to use it. It's already in the plans. Those are his plans. I believe that. Another town called Adroge. It's a suburb of Buenos Aires with some 170 city blocks. And they know how many blocks there are. Okay? And some 30,000 inhabitants inside the city limits. It is the county seat to some 200,000 people. The entire city is being shepherded by the church of the city by means of prayer evangelism. Every one of the city blocks is being shepherded by a Christian family who is praying daily for the people who live there. At least every 20 days, they make contact with their sheep, the people who live in the block, to pray for their needs. They made contact. They went and said, what do we need to pray for? The sheep know who their shepherd is and respond with surprising openness. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise. It should really be normal. During the course of the past week, we joined our team of 60 visiting delegates from England, Switzerland, Norway, and the U.S. with the saints from Adrogay to join them in prayer evangelism exercises all over the city, in the streets, in the businesses, in the homes, in the schools, in the hospitals, in the city hall. In the course of the week, we have, a, we have recorded a record of having spoken with at least 1,200 people. You can't speak to 1,200 people sitting in here. You just can't. It won't work. Over 800 of them prayed to receive Christ, two out of three. If there is a choice of definitions for an open heaven, I would pick this one. The prayer team Sue and I were on visited 13 businesses for an hour one morning. Of the 13 people we spoke with, 12 of them welcomed prayer for their needs. Eight of them stepped into the kingdom. They stepped into the kingdom because somebody went and ushered in the kingdom. The presence of God, the power of presence, is you and me. And where we go, the kingdom goes. And that's what happened here. Visitation hours at the hospital never end. For the Christians in the city, the hospital staff knows and welcomes the Christians any time of day or night. The nurses actually assume the role of prayer guides, leading the Christians to the most urgent cases and indicating to them what to specifically pray for. If there was a choice of a definition for an open heaven, I would pick this one. <laughs> Let's bring it a bit closer to home. Daytona Beach, Sunday News Journal. Prayers for a city. Headlines. Secular news. Prayers for a city. 8,500 hours of good intentions collected for DeLand. Believers call it the power of prayer, and a local group of believers is serious about plugging others into that power. Representatives of some 27 Christian churches in the greater DeLand area have spent the past year praying for DeLand city commissioners, the mayor, and other government leaders, both local and national. Two, the recipients, city officials, aren't taking this prayer thing lightly either. Officials from new city, the new city manager to DeLand's veteran mayor 
believe the group's efforts have had a positive impact in the community. I would say with all the positive attitude of the citizens of Deland, something must be working right here, said the city manager. In the short time the manager has been on the job, he said he has noticed the people in the community have a quite cooperative attitude. We are not as Christians known for our cooperative attitude toward government. We picket. We do everything we shouldn't do to get their attention. And it doesn't work. There are still abortions going on. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't keep that in front of them. But if that's all we do, we will not ever be known as a cooperative group of people. Mayor David Rigsby, a believer in the power of prayer, appreciates the minister's efforts too. He said the city was founded on three principles, faith, hope, and charity. <laughs> I think that if we did, we, we, we prayed that each night this world would be a much better place to be living in. This is the mayor. Why is that? Because the pastors, 